All right. I pray that that's helped us to set our minds on the Lord, prepare our hearts for His Word. And uh, we are in the book of Colossians. We've been in there since the end of January. We have now crested into chapter 3. Uh, the first two chapters were very much involved in, uh, in the indicatives, right? The knowledge that we need to know, the foundation of the gospel. And now we're in chapter 3, when a lot of it is coming in application. How do we apply this into our everyday Christian life? And so we have a slide up here kind of giving us an overview of where we are. Um, so Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10, uh, we learned about how to walk. Walking in Christ is really what chapter 2 is, is all about. And so chapter 2, verses 6 to 10 was how we are to walk. So walk in Him. And we learned about having our feet planted in the foundation of Jesus Christ. We, we learned about walking with our eyes focused, with Christ-focused discernment. We, we learned about walking with our hearts full, being in Christ and filled with His Spirit, Christ-empowered encouragement. And then as we went to chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, we started to, to learn how we are to think. Reminding ourselves of the gospel, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day that, that we are fully liberated in Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed from the domain of darkness. We are entirely new. We've been resurrected in Christ. We are completely, 100%, eternally forgiven of our sins. And in Christ, we are totally triumphant because He is triumphant. And then last week, we started to look at things to avoid. We were looking at some of the controversies in the Colossian church, some of the false teaching. And we've seen these three highlighted here. Legalism, the Jesus plus works gospel. And we, were, we learned that we need to reject that. And then we had mysticism, the Jesus plus mystical experience gospel, the worship of angels, the seeking of visions. And then we learned about asceticism, which was the Jesus plus I need to sacrifice myself in order to experience uh, the cross myself. Again, it's a form of works, and we learned that we need to reject these forms of false gospels. The Colossian church was facing these problems, and we will face these problems. Our own hearts are tempted towards these false gospels as well. Well, today we turn to Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Verses 1 to 4. And have you ever heard that saying? That that guy is too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Have you heard that? Anybody hear that before? Right? And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I can see how somebody could say that that is true. It's kind of a derogatory uh, dig towards Christians at times. And sometimes there is some truth. You might have a guy that's a professing Christian, but in his everyday life, he just doesn't look like it, right? Sometimes we proclaim Jesus with our mouths. But the way that we live completely contradicts our profession. Sometimes our heads can live so high in the knowledge of, of rich orthodoxy, but that has not transferred to our hearts to produce life-altering change. Sometimes our hearts are empty. Sometimes we miss the purpose of our theology, which is to transform our minds and change our, our hearts and that'll transform our motivations. And so today what we're going to see, and what I want to propose to you is from this text, is that instead of being too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good, we're often too worldly minded to be of any heavenly value. And instead, we need to be so heavenly minded if we want to be of any earthly good. Paul's going to teach us today to be looking to Christ, to be looking to Him 
in heaven. And so today we'll see that heavenly mindedness is where it's all at. That's where it's all at. The Christian life is about keeping our eyes focused on Christ, on heaven, as God instructs us today to look up. And so starting in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And so the first thing we're going to see here today, how we're going to apply this to our life in verse 1, is that we need to look up. We need to look up. We need to passionately pursue the ways of heaven. Passionately pursue the ways of heaven. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. So last week, in verses 16 to 23, we saw how the, the Colossian church was, was faced with all kinds of worldly teaching. Worldly philosophies threatening to lead the church astray. Many different philosophies were being introduced by false teachers. And they began to mix this into their worship. Began to, to mix worldly ideas into their faith. They were trying to bring back Old Testament food laws. Ceremonies. Sabbath keeping. They were teaching that if you wanted to really reach the fullness of faith, you need to seek out mystical experiences. You need to pursue spiritual visions in heaven. There was some worship of angels going on. And on top of that, you needed to add to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice was good enough to get you there, but you needed to experience his sacrifice in a fuller way. So that was this asceticism, this, this self-inflicted humiliation. And they were teaching that Jesus was not enough, that you needed more. But Paul's argument last week his argument against these worldly ideas was though that even though they have an appearance of wisdom, they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. And instead, he called God's people to do what? To hold fast to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the substance. He is the source of faith. He is the supreme one. He is the preeminent one. He is first. And it needs to be first in our hearts and in our minds. And so as we turn to this text today, we see Paul driving a nail again, over and over again. God wants us to know that if we are truly his people, if we are saved by our sin, we have a new direction. We have been raised with Christ. Meaning, if we have been spiritually born from the dead through repenting of our sin and believing in Christ alone, we have a new focus. We have a new target. We have a new purpose. We have this new life. And he says, seek the things that are above. So friends, when you stop and examine your life, when you see the decisions that you've been making, the direction that you've been taking what would you say your purpose is in this world? 
What would you say is your driving force for your daily life? What is that one goal that if you finally attained it, you would believe that you have arrived? What is the point of your existence? Why do you live? So some examples might be, would it be your career? Would it be your dream job, this this highly sought-after position that you are aiming for? If you attain that, would that be your goal? That is my purpose in this life. Would it be having that perfect home, that dream home, the one you've been looking at for a long time? Would it be marrying that perfect person? Would it be having children and that perfect life that goes on with that? How about your fitness goals, right? Being the ideal weight, would would you feel like I've arrived once I hit that goal? How about aging? The age-old fight of aging. Um, How about health? How about disease? How about your goal might be not getting cancer? Whatever it may be. None of these ambitions... None of these are inherently bad. In fact, they are all good when they are sought properly in light of the gospel, but they cannot be our primary focus, our primary goal. And I think we do this at times, right? Even though we would agree that Jesus is first, we would put it on paper, sometimes our actions and our thoughts and where we dwell in our minds tells a different story. So where are you placing your energy? Where are you pouring out your most energy, your highest affections, your greatest focus? What is Paul teaching us here? He says, in this resurrected life, our eyes, our purpose are to be fixed on heaven, where Christ is, seated next to God. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. In fact, this verb seek is, is, a, is a present active imperative, which means keep on seeking. It's not just a one-time action. You've got to keep on seeking. In fact, the NASB has keep on seeking. It's a continuous, ongoing pursuit, which means you never stop in this life. This is your life. And the reason we have to keep looking up and passionately pursuing the things of heaven is because Jesus is our only hope. He is our only hope. Jesus is our victorious Savior. He is our source of wisdom. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And where He is, that's where our minds need to be. Friends, we need to be preoccupied with Jesus Christ, with the things of heaven. Jesus Himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things are his things, God's things, God's ways, God's thoughts, God's purposes are found in the throne room of grace and grace alone. So we need to be looking up. We need to be looking up. As a kid, I remember taking swimming lessons. My wife and I were talking about our our hometown, and we had this little pool, and there wasn't much to do in that town. And so when it was time for swimming lessons, that was a pretty big highlight. And so I remember taking swimming lessons. And I know what you guys are thinking. This is a one-armed guy. He probably just swims in circles, right? <laughs> yeah, no, let's, no, I could actually swim. 
So uh, I remember learning to tread water, learning to do the front crawl, learning the breaststroke. And then I remember learning how to do the backstroke. And I had a problem with the backstroke. I really struggled with doing the backstroke. See, when you're doing the backstroke, you're looking up at the ceiling, right? You can't see where you're going. You can't see the end of the pool. You can't see under the pool. All you can see is the ceiling. And so I struggled with that. But then I had a new swimming teacher the next year, and it was this older lady from England. I remember her. And, uh, and she taught me that in order to swim the backstroke properly, you've got to be looking up. You can't be trying to look to your side or, or looking ahead of you. You've got to be looking up at the ceiling. Find a point on the ceiling, whether it's a beam or a marker, whatever it is. Look at that point and gauge where you are based on that. You've got to be looking up so that you're not veering into other lanes or worrying about hitting your head on the other side of the pool. You've got to be looking up. And so it's the same with us as Christians. We have to be looking up as we're walking this Christian life together. We've got to be looking at the one in the throne room, putting our trust in what is above in order to successfully guide our path below. So how much more do we need to be looking up at Jesus Christ, having our eyes focused on him as we walk this Christian life? Jesus sits in victory at the right hand of God. In victory. Hebrews 1.3 says, After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our Savior sits as our victorious king. And where he is, our minds need to be also. And so set our minds in the things that are above. Now what does that really look like? What does that practically look like in this life? It's one thing to say, set your mind on things above, brother. But how am I going to do that? Well, I'll give you a few suggestions here. The first is pursue heavenly instruction. Pursue heavenly instruction. Friends, the book of Colossians has not ceased to place Jesus Christ as first above all things. And it calls us to place him as first in our heart above all things. And so when you think about all those many different pursuits that, that's in your life, the things that we are chasing in this life, are we putting him first? Is Jesus first? Friends, if we are Christians, we are Christ followers. And to follow him, we need to be looking at him through his word. We have his word. We have his holy, inspired word. When you think about it, when you have that Bible in your hand, you have the very mind of God in your hands. And he has spoken. And he has spoken sufficiently, completely, inerrantly. It's sufficient for you. We have the very mind of God in our hands. And I love what we just read in Isaiah 55. I'll just look at verses 8 to 9 again of that. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, we have base thoughts. We have low thoughts in and of ourselves, in our flesh. We are, we don't have it. The Lord has it all. We may think we have wisdom, but it's worldly wisdom. We need to seek what's above, what's higher, and what's found in him. And so how are you doing? God has given us his word. And so as Christians, as a church, we'll always be asking each other, how are we doing with taking in that word? It is his word that leads us to know him. 
And so are we regularly feasting upon the riches of Christ as revealed in God's Word? Are you hearing from God through His Word every day? We need to hear from God every day. Are you longing for His Word like drippings of the honeycomb? Are you delighting in Him as you learn about Him? Are you memorizing His Word? Are you meditating upon His Word? Are you treating the Word as if it's fuel for your soul? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to pursue God through His Word? Lots of times we just kind of wait for when we feel like it, right? We need to plan. If you fail to plan, plan to fail is the common saying. So don't just look at your Bible as a checkbox for the day. Look at it as food. Look at it as life. Look at it for looking to Jesus. I get to know God. I get to know Him. It's this privilege. It's this opportunity that is given to me. God has given me His Holy Spirit so that I can understand it and I can come to know the Lord. I can abide in Him. I can know Him intimately. And so we need to pursue heavenly instruction. And so we pursue that by going to God's Word. The next thing we need to do is to pray heavenly prayers. So as you take God's Word in on a regular basis, you begin to see the way that God thinks. You get a glimpse into the mind of the Holy of Holies. And as you continue to go to the Lord with a Bible-saturated mind, and as you begin to delight in His will, the Holy Spirit will be faithful to help you pray. As God's Word is hidden in your heart, the Holy Spirit will bring that Word to mind. And you'll be able to know Him better and pray that back to Him. The Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart, but that's when your heart is aligned with God's will. And so you need to know Him. Pray heavenly prayers. Use Scripture to guide your prayers. Sometimes when you go to pray in the morning, you may, you may come up blank, right? I don't know what to pray about today. And I would just suggest you've got to open God's Word. Go to the Psalms. Help the Psalms, even the Proverbs, some of the wisdom Scripture. Help that to inform how you pray. It teaches you about the character of God. It teaches you about those who are characters in Scripture who are praying to God. And it shows you how to pray to Him. So pray heavenly prayers. Pray, pray believing that God is in heaven and He is at the right hand of the Father and that He is interceding for you and that He wants to hear from you and He wants to answer your prayers. He does. And so pray, pray heavenly prayers. Set heavenly goals. As we begin to take in God's Word, He begins to change our desires. We start to have heavenly desires. And these heavenly desires change our ultimate purposes, our ultimate goals in this life. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Friends, God always knows what's best for us, even though we don't think that it may be best for us. His ways are always best. He wants us to be looking to him for direction. And his goals need to be our ultimate goals and so we need to set heavenly goals this means that we resign as the captain of our own destinies that we step down as the ceos of our lives 
and that we let him rule and we go to him seeking out his goals for us. The goals of scripture become our goals. Our ultimate aim in life is no longer about pleasing ourselves, but pleasing the Lord. No longer is it about success here, arriving at some higher position here. The Lord wants us to love him. He wants us to obey him and make that a goal. Lord, by the power of your spirit, being informed by your word, will you help me to obey you because I love you, because you first loved me. And so we follow him wherever he goes. That means that we also bear our crosses with him wherever he goes. We go and we share the gospel because we exist for his glory. The Bible is full of goals for us. Hebrews even talks about our goal, God's will for us, is our sanctification, growing in holiness. And a lot more can be said about seeking these things that are above. And Paul's going to deal more about this in the next two weeks as we go through the scriptures. He's going to be talking about the putting on and the putting off, right? The old man is dead. The new has come. How to put the old man off, put the new man on in Christ. That's coming up in the next two weeks. And so we have to cease pursuing our own ways and we need to get on God's agenda. Open up his word. Know who he is. Look up and pursue the ways of heaven. So along with pursuing God's ways, seeking things that are in heaven where Christ is, Paul continues by teaching us to stop looking back. Stop looking back. Cautiously keep yourself from the ways of the world. He says, set your minds on things that are above. This is a refrain of what he's already said. Not on things that are on earth. So setting your minds on things that are above. This is striving to think with a heavenly perspective. Trying to see things the way that God sees them. We have to remember that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He is not bound by creation. He is not bound by time. God has created it all. And He's sovereign over it all. And so we need to be seeing things the way that He sees them, remembering that He has all knowledge. Christ became to us wisdom. Remember that. Scripture constantly testifies to God's all-knowing power. As God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in 46, verses 9 to 10, he says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. King David himself said in Psalm 139, verse 4, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Jesus himself said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's at the very close of Scripture with John's vision of heaven. So if God is all-knowing, if He is all-powerful, if He is the only wise God, what should be our natural response? What should be our natural response to an all-knowing, all-wise, omnipresent God that loves us? Set your minds on things that are above. We need to respond with, Lord, we want to know you. 
We want to think like you. We want to be with you. We want to be taught by you. We want to be transformed by you, just like Romans 12, having our minds renewed, being transformed into the image of Christ. And so we passionately pursue the things of heaven, the supernatural things. In this Christian life, we're often lost in the fog of here. We get caught in the weeds of here. We can't see above sometimes because we're so consumed with what's happening here. Sometimes we can't see our glorious God in heaven because we've got our Bibles closed and we've got our eyes fixed upon what is happening on earth. So did you know that some people today still think that the earth is flat? You guys know that? People still believe that the earth is flat. Actually, there is a society called the Flat Earth Society. And they gather together to have meetings and they have conferences talking about the flatness of the earth. In fact, four days ago, they just had a conference in England. Now, I'm thinking that uh, the people that came to this conference, they must have been in England because there's nobody flying there that is actually going to believe that the earth is still flat. It's unbelievable. They keep their heads in the sand. And they're not pulling back their perspective, getting a view from above on what's happening here. And in the same way, if we have our thoughts transfixed on here and not in heaven, we can still be trapped and deceived by the ways of the world. That's why Paul says, set your minds on things of heaven, not on the things of this earth. And this was true in the Colossian church. They were still trying to figure out how to worship God, but they were also turning to worldly ways like we've already discussed. Rather than setting their minds on the things above, they were, they were trying to understand Him on some deeper level, trying to get to some deeper fullness by bringing in all kinds of man-made practices. We've seen these rules. We've seen these pagan mystical experiences. We've seen this self-humiliation and mutilation, trying, trying to receive and experience something more than what has been revealed. And they weren't running to Christ and to Christ alone. They weren't seeking His ways, and they were running to the world. And so let me ask you, are you still running to the world? Are you still holding onto the ways of this place? Are you falling back on old practices, old habits, old spirituality? When God has given you everything in the person of Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to offer some ways that I think that we're still getting lost in the weeds. I think it's pretty common for us all to fall back into worldly ways, even as Christians sometimes. We get lost in the fog of this world. And so here's some questions that you can ask yourself to see some ways that you, you may still be seeking the ways of the world. And the first one is this. Am I putting my hope in what I can see? Am I putting my hope in what I can see? I think one of the things we struggle with as Christians is that 
that life here is still hard. There is struggles. There is strife. Relationships are challenging. People will fail you. Sickness still comes. And every day in this world is one day closer to death. And sometimes we find ourselves putting, going to the extreme ends to try to preserve our lives, to have longevity. Nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. But if it's all-consuming... Perhaps the greatest fear in your life may may be losing that dream job, having no money, losing your home, having some terminal diagnosis. Maybe Maybe your greatest fear is losing a family member. Maybe it's dying. Maybe that keeps you awake at night. Whatever it may be, we can test ourselves to see what it is by just, just asking ourselves, if something was taken away, what, what makes me really squirrely when I, when I fear that thing going away? Are we hoping in things that we can see and touch and feel here? Or are we hoping in heaven? Where is our faith? Hebrews talks about our faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not Seen. Are you placing your faith in things here? Set your eyes on heaven. Set them on Jesus. How about this? Am I searching for help in the world? Am I searching for help in the world? You just have to turn on the TV, walk into a bookstore. You're going to see many, many books, many kinds of things trying to help you in your life. We have self-help books. We have life coaches. We have uh, all kinds of exercise practices, yoga. We even have psychology. The world wants to help us with our problems. But instead of having the everlasting answers that are found only in Jesus Christ, the world offers band-aids, temporary band-aids that deceive us. And the church is also adopting some of these things. We're starting to synchronize these things with the faith, just like the Colossian church, taking worldly ideas and synchronizing it with Christianity. We can't do that. It robs God's people of what they really need. And they really need the sufficient Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit in your life to help you with your problems. Psalm 119.24 Your testimonies, which is your word, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The word is where our hope is found. The word is where our help is found. The word tells us about Jesus in heaven, tells us about the Godhead and everything that's offered for us. It is sufficient. Number three, how about this? Am I returning to my old ways? When the Israelites... You remember the story of the Exodus? And they were in Egypt for 400 years of captivity, and they learned a lot of the ways of the Egyptians. They learned about the worship of the Egyptians. They had a plethora of gods to worship and all kinds of religious practices. And as Moses went and and God went before them, and they were redeemed from Exodus, and they were in the desert at the foot of the mountain, and Moses was up on the mountain communing with God, the people down below did what? You know, they seen the presence of God and the pillar of fire and smoke, and 40 days later, they began to worship a golden calf. They returned to Egypt in their practices, returning to old ways. 
They built this golden calf and proclaimed that it was what, what brought them out of Egypt. And in the same sense, we do that too. We will run back to old ways. Old ways that we use to salve the sores. Old temporary ways. Old band-aids that fall off. So are you returning to old ways? And they can be many, many different flavors. They can be sin. So we have to be careful not to readily mix in worldly ways, religious practices. We've got to be careful with what we learn from the world. And so, friends, we need to stop looking back. Sometimes it seems like our faith isn't working, and we run to the world, right? We resort to returning to our old ways. Friends, we need to have our minds corrected, trained, and captivated by the things of heaven, which means that we hold fast to God's word. This book that you have in your hand is God's breathed out word. It is sufficient. It is his holy word. It is a a heavenly book. If you want to look into heaven, don't be seeking mystical experiences. Be seeking the heavenly word. And so we don't look back. We cautiously keep ourselves from the ways of the world. We need to be extremely suspicious even of our own hearts. Our own hearts want to return to our old ways. Just like that classic hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We need to test everything against the ways of God. Set our minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. And so instead of looking back, next we see Paul is calling us to look forward. Look forward. Faithfully flourish in light of eternal glory. For you have died, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Here again, Paul reminds us of this glorious, life-shattering truth, the reality of what it means to be a Christian, that you and I are sinners saved by grace. We have died spiritually. We have died to our old selves. He says, for you have died. This is truth we need to keep Speaking to ourselves, keep reminding to ourselves until Christ returns. And it's so critical and important that we do so. And so let us continue reminding ourselves. We have died to our old selves spiritually. The old man does not exist anymore, even though our hearts want to believe that the old man is still alive. And and it feels like sometimes that old man is rising back up and clawing you back into temptation. So remind yourself that when you heard the gospel and when God opened your heart to believe, when he died on the cross for your sin and he rose from the grave, you died in him and you were raised to life in Jesus Christ. God is so full of love for us. He is so full of love for us. 
This reminds me of uh, this weekend, or Thursday, I was preparing sermon in, in Starbucks. I often go there. And some of you already know kind of the story that, that happened this week. But a lot of times I'll go to Starbucks, and I've been trying to get out to, to you know, write the sermon, but also, hey, maybe I'll be able to talk to somebody about the gospel. And so rather than staying at home in the office, let's, let's get out. And I would call you to do the same things. Um, so I'm writing my sermon. I have my headphones on. Lady in front of me, is, uh, she's got a phone. She's got a coffee. She's sitting down, and she's just talking on her phone. And then about 10 minutes later, she comes over to me, and she's showing me her phone, and she's trying to, she can't speak English very well. And so I'm thinking, well, this is a new person to the country. And, and so she's asking me, she says, I need to go to work. She says, I can speak English, I can't read it, I don't know how to get to work. She's looking at her phone and the address and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm looking it up on my computer, and, uh, and I show her it, and, and uh, it says that you need to take a, a train and then a bus. It's going to take an hour and a half for you to get to work. And she says, well, I have to work in 20 minutes. And she's almost starting to cry. And, uh, and so since she asked me, she says, can I get a ride from you? And as pastors do, we, or as Christian men do, we don't want to be alone with a woman in a car. We want to protect, uh, protect our above-reproach character. And so as much as I wanted to give her a ride to help her out, I could not give her a ride that day. And, uh, and so she calls her husband to try to get a ride. And then we start talking. I said, oh, so you're new to the country. And, uh, and she says, yes, I'm from Afghanistan. I said, how long have you been here? She said, four weeks. And I said, do you like Canada? She says, I love Canada. It's so free. And then she started asking me about me. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she says, she says oh, you're a father. I'm like, no, I'm not a father. She says, well, do you do this? And I'm like, no, I don't do that. And, uh, and so we start talking. I start sharing the gospel with her. She's four weeks into this country. She's never heard the gospel. She's, she actually met a Catholic priest once, but she did not hear the gospel. And so... Start sharing with her. Start telling her about how Jesus died for her sins. And I got to the place of telling her how much God loves you to save you. And that's when she proclaimed. She said, God really loves me? Like, she's never heard that before in her life. That God loves her. The God of her religion does not love his people. When she heard that God loves her and wants to save her from her sins, she should have seen her face light up with joy. And she wants to learn about that God. She wants to learn about that Jesus. And then it came time, and we were, I was talking some more with her, and she w really wanted to come to church. She wants to learn about Jesus. And then her husband came, and she frantically grabbed her purse and ran out because she, um, she said that uh, if, if, if she was seen with me, and especially that I was a Christian pastor, her husband may kill her. And so she ran off but then I seen her running back across the parking lot, back into the store. She opened up my book, wrote her phone number in there. And she says, as she ran out, she says, will you teach me about this Jesus? I want to know Jesus. It was God's love, the full love that God has for her that opened her eyes, that she could be saved from her sin, that she could have eternal life in him. So friends, we have died to our old selves. I pray that, that in that conversation, she has come to saving faith. But if not, she is still dead in her old self, and she needs to come alive in Christ. Remember, we were that old person in us, that old person that has died. We were haters of God, but we were haters who have now perished. 
The old self wanted to go its own way, but that old person is destroyed. When Christ died on the cross, we spiritually died in him. And at the moment that we were saved from our sin, we died to sin. He became one with Jesus in his death. The old is gone, the new has come. So friends, keep reminding yourself of that. Over and over again, we are dead. Like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we've died to our old selves. Our old spiritual selves are no more. The world, the flesh, and the devil have no power over us anymore. So quit digging up those old bones. Quit digging them up. Quit digging up those old ways. Paul goes on to say that we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in Christ in God. We are safe. We are secure. We have full assurance in Christ in God. We are hidden with Christ in God. I love this. He doesn't just say we're, we're hidden in Christ. We're hidden in Christ in God. Don't jump over that part. Just picture that. Picture your salvation, remember? As you were saved, you were declared righteous. That's like Christ taking his robes and wrapping them around you, his white, perfect, righteous robes, the perfect life that he lived is now applied to you, and you are covered by him. And you are hidden in Christ, in God. So that means that God the Father, as he looks at you, who does he see? He sees Christ. You are hidden in him. Because he lives. Because he lives, we live. Being hidden in him speaks of our eternal union with the Savior. The fact that we can even say that we are alive is because Christ lives. We are intrinsically united to his life. It can never be taken away. We are eternally covered by his righteousness. Friends, life is challenging. Life is hard, like we already said. Some days it just feels like we want this life to be over. Christ, would you come back right now? That should be our hearts. We should be longing for Christ to return. We should be infatuated with the truth that he is coming back to take his bride home to be with him. But right now, if you are a Christian, that means you were alive in him, but you still experience the fallenness of this world. We still suffer pain. We still experience hardship. We have fallen bodies that are failing us. We have relational strife. We see a world decaying around us. We see a world saturated with sin and temptation. And sometimes we just wish it could all be over. Christ, would you come back? Can you take me out of this mess? Friends, God wants you to know that whatever you are facing, 
whatever is coming tomorrow, the next week, the next year, the hardness of this world, you are safe and hidden in Jesus Christ. That can never be taken away. You have eternal union with him. There's nothing on this world that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, and he is coming back. And then Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. This is our hope. Our hope is in him who is seated in heaven, and that he is coming back, and that we are going to appear, we are going to be revealed with him. This leads to such joy, such eternal longing for Jesus Christ. No more pain one day. No more sorrow. No more suffering. No more crying. It will all be wiped away and we will have eternal joy, everlasting joy in the face of Jesus Christ. So we have this promise. This promise that we are safe and secure and we are, we are found in Him, that He is coming back and that we are hidden and we will appear. We will rise from the dead. We will be glorified in Him, perfected without sin, and we will live in practice what we are in position right now. Friends, we live in what's known as the already not yet. Christ has come. That was the long awaited Messiah. He has come but he still is going to return and consummate what he has finished. So right now, if you are saved, you stand righteous in Jesus Christ, in position that cannot be taken away, but in practice, you still sin. And so you are saved, you are perfected as far as your justification right now, already, but you still walk in sin, so it's not yet, it's to come. One day we will be glorified in Christ when he comes back. We will raise from the dead, both physically and spiritually, and we will be united with him in this full consummation of our salvation. What hope, what things to long for, that God who breathed life into us is coming back. And I love what Paul says, he is our life. Jesus who is our life. He is our joy. He is our hope. Friends, it's all about Him. That in all things, He would be preeminent. And so how do we respond? How do we respond? We respond with flourishing joy today. We are not those who are consumed with despair, even though the days are hard and God has a lot of grace. We are per people marked by flourishing joy in Jesus Christ. We have everything in Him. There's nothing that can come between you and what He has done for you on the cross. It's not our best life now. It's our life yet to come. We long for Christ's return. We live in light of His eternal glory. And we ought to be sharing that eternal glory with everyone that we know. And so as you go this week, be thinking about what you have in Jesus and what they don't have. They don't have this eternal joy in Jesus. The world around us is dying. Are you flourishing with eternal joy in Jesus Christ? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. 
seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we need to be looking up, passionately pursuing the ways of heaven, not looking back, cautiously keeping ourselves from the waves of the world, and looking forward, faithfully flourishing in light of eternal glory.